Welcome to the Field Talk Podcast from the Linder Farm Network, the voice of Minnesota agriculture. I'm your host, Dan Lemke. Federal milk marketing orders established provisions under which dairy processors purchase fresh milk from dairy farmers, supplying a marketing area. Federal orders are intended to maintain stable marketing relationships for all handlers and producers. The Agricultural Marketing Agreement Act authorizes the milk marketing orders, and USDA amends and establishes them through a hearing process, which enables the dairy industry to submit proposals and evidence to support the establishment of and amendments to federal order provisions. The current federal milk marketing order hearing will resume in November. Minnesota Milk Producers Association Executive Director Lucas Schostrom has been participating in the hearing, and he joined Linda Brecky to explain the process and the implications. Yeah, we have five topics, Linda, that are being debated or, or more argued uh, down in Carmel, Indiana. A lot of lawyers and economists in the room and all fighting for their clients, so different uh, types of processors. Um, I was there on my work on behalf of Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, uh, National Milk is in the room, National Jersey is there, American Farm Bureau Federation, so different farmer and, and processor groups. And USDA's job is to take all this in and see how they can improve all the federal orders across the country. And it's important when we say that because places like Idaho don't have a federal order, so they aren't affected by this. But in the upper Midwest, we certainly are. And what this does, it's, it's kind of taken for granted. It, it sets the minimum price for dairy farmers uh, in relation to class one, but also class two, three, and four. So all of the products we make. And that's important because that's what shows up ultimately on our milk check. And why do we have this? I think that's the next question a lot of people ask. Well, it's because we have a perishable product. And there's games you can play if the product you sell, uh, in this case fluid milk especially, is gone off the shelves in 72 or a few more hours, more or less, before you even have a chance to get an invoice out and get paid. So, you know, you, Linda, uh, maybe get a paycheck twice a month or every two weeks, I hope, something like that. Um, and if they said, well, you know, that work you did two weeks ago, it, it wasn't so great. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to take um, some of your payout. Well, in, in the case of milk, you can't show hours, you can't show... Uh, the milk that's already sold and gone, and so that is why the system is created for milk, and we also have it in, in part for fresh fruits and vegetables, so it's not just milk. But all that said, uh, all these people are in a room trying to argue for the best way to set these minimum pricing on a regular basis. The good news is part of the reason we are here, part of the reason we have consensus is everybody agrees the most fundamental part of this, which is the class one mover or the base class one skim milk price, as it's technically called, needs to change. We had the higher of from about 2000 to 2018. There was an agreement to change to what's called the average of classes three and four. And uh, the past five years showed us that with the pandemic, that, that system probably needs to be tweaked and, and can be improved. Um, some people say, well, let's just go back to what we had before. But what we would lose in that process is the ability of class one operators to hedge or class one operators, our, our fluid operators, to be able to kind of manage the risk as much as they have been the past five years. And um, on the other hand, the higher up is something something people know and, and are more comfortable with. So uh, I've been there uh, helping argue on, on our three principles that we want better risk management opportunity here. We want the best price discovery possible. I think that's what we're all after because 
I hear a lot of farmers say, I'd love the milk price as high as possible, but um, when people stop buying it at a certain point, then that doesn't work out so well. So you want good price discovery. You don't want the highest price discovery. And then finally, we want to sustain federal orders. Like I said, a lot of this is baked into the system and we take it for granted. Uh, standard weights and measures are being argued. What should we what should we adjust the current protein levels to that, that cows produce in their milk? And with that, uh, we argued we should update fat as well. Um, what percentage of the cheese price should be determined by blocks versus barrels versus others have proposals to add mozzarella or 640-pound blocks? Um, and so, as you can see, Linda, it gets pretty arcane and, and dairy geeky pretty fast, but it's really important. Uh, but for the upper Midwest, we have a, a competitive market, so no matter what happens here, it won't change all that much. And uh, we, as long as we can keep, keep a competitive market, hopefully those minimum prices are, are more of a guideline and, and farmers are, are paid above that or, or paid um, whatever the most competitive price is. What we're more worried about long-term is that um, we, we keep power in the hands of the farmers, so to speak, because today, uh, with processing plants full, it's really hard for a farmer to argue on their own behalf. And, and so I think outside of boards of directors, we haven't seen very many farmers uh, step up because it's, it's dangerous right now, frankly, to talk against your co-op or talk against your private processor for fear of losing your market because there's nowhere else to go. So that's kind of the backdrop of where we're at. Uh, they will reconvene around Thanksgiving and, and go, I suspect, for a few more weeks to months uh, arguing on the transportation credits or the surface map, as it's called. And um, um, we will have a conclusion sometime probably in very late 2024 or I would suspect more likely in mid-2025 where farmers, but mostly through their cooperatives, can vote on the conclusion. And again, we want we want farmers to be able to confidently vote for the federal orders, there's a lot of good things they have in there for farmers, and so we want USDA to put the best proposal forward. So this will, well, this will be separate from the farm bill, right? Yeah, totally separate. The timing, the timing makes it really confusing. Um, 10, 15 years ago, we had members of Congress, uh, you know, maybe a handful that kind of understood both things. I think that number um, has shrunk to maybe one or two members of Congress and their staffs who understand the Farm Bill and federal milk marketing orders at the same time. And so trying to communicate to them that, hey, these are, these are totally separate processes. They happen to be going on at the exact same time, but USDA's job is to take the law as it is today and apply things. They can't think about what might or might not be in the Farm Bill. Um, they can't really think about, you know, uh, some people have pledged to do things like mandatory surveys for how we update things going forward, which is, I think, a very logical thing to do. But that's not um, that's not in law yet. So USDA can't say, oh, well, we're going to make this change because the Farm Bill is going to change this other thing. It's just a totally separate process, and it results in USDA making a recommendation that will make our markets more orderly, hopefully, and uh, then farmers and through their co-ops and, and in some cases, uh, like EDGE allows farmers to vote individually, uh, farmers are able to vote on that. And um, assuming it passes, then the federal orders change. What is in the Farm Bill for dairy farmers that you're looking at right now at this point? I know there's a lot going on in Washington, D.C. It's going to depend, too, on, on getting that House Speaker in place before we can start to actually see a lot more progress. But what are you looking at in the next Farm Bill for dairy farmers? Well, I think the, the message generally, uh, both Minnesota Milk and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, are, and, and I think the industry nationwide, let's, let's preserve what's good. 
um, Dairy Margin Coverage Program, the Dairy Revenue Protection and LGM crop insurance type programs and, and crop insurance itself. I think everybody's kind of coalesced around let's keep what we have there as good. And uh, there's some tweaks to make them better. Uh, a lot of that happens outside the Farm Bill or could happen outside the Farm Bill. And then uh, there's things going on with, with milk in schools and um, being able to have higher fat milk in schools and flavored chocolate milk in schools. And so those are some things that, again, could be affected in the Farm Bill or outside the Farm Bill. But generally speaking, I think I think the main question right now is when do we get a Farm Bill? When do we get an extension? In dairy's case, the dairy margin coverage program for our our farmers, you know, maybe under 200 or 300 cows has just been a, a fantastic insurance program. And so that expiring December 31st is a, is a worry. And also um, there's the dairy cliff, which you probably know about, Linda, but prices uh, would go back to 1938 parity levels. So uh, we would run the federal government or the stores out of money very fast uh, if that's the case. And so, again, farmers always want really high milk prices, but uh, $50 or more per hundredweight is not a not a sustainable outlook. And so we need to be careful what we wish for. We don't want the farm bill to expire. We don't want to get paid $50 per hundredweight because um, it'd be fun for one or two or three days, but after that, we'd have a major problem. So I think the message is we need a farm bill. We need to sustain what's good for dairy, improve it where we can, and, and again, do things with nutrition and, and schools and flavored milk uh, if we can get those as well. And as you look ahead to the next state legislative session, what are some of the areas, some of your priority uh, issues? Well, I, I'm going to be speaking a little out of turn here, Linda, but we want to, uh, we, we have a policy committee meeting and, and board meeting coming up yet this fall. But um, I, I can confidently say Minnesota Milk will continue to support our processing plants wherever they can. Uh, we've been vocally supportive of, of uh Litchfield asking to update the state-of-the-art um, plant there at First District with a kind of pre-treatment system so that the city's uh, wet waste, the city's wastewater, can be uh, kept separate from the cheese plant uh, wastewater at the beginning, and that can be treated, and, and everybody wins. You can create products out of that and get a lot of added value. So we hope the state invests in items like that. And we're also looking around the rest of the state. You know, we've got uh, over a dozen dairy plants. And so anybody making upgrades similar to that state-of-the-art uh, first district plant in Litchfield, uh, we want to be able to support them in, in a bonding-type bill. And then, moreover, I, we we still feel the hangover of COVID-19 and not knowing all the legislators. We have 201. We have to work very closely with our friends on the Agriculture Committee and those in agricultural areas. But that means we don't necessarily have enough time to reach the other probably 150 all the time that we'd like to get to know dairy. So that's that's kind of on our on our agenda for 2024, getting to know more of those state legislators, telling them what dairy is doing and, and could do with their support, and um, you know sustaining programs that that uh, we have in place like the livestock investment program. Coming up, if we get that farm bill either extended or starting anew, that will also allow for the DAIRI which is a rebate on the DMC program that will allow for the DAIRI uh, rebates to be implemented. So that's a regulatory side thing. We've already had it um, passed into law last year, thanks to Minnesota Milk. And uh, we, we hope we can get farmers signed up for the next tranche of that program and then the rebates back to the farmers for that. 
Thanks for joining us. Find other podcasts at linderfarmnetwork.com and get the latest information daily from your local LFN affiliate.